When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Great Lakes Kids Apparel. That's right. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes for your little one to enjoy. Plus, Great Lakes Kids Apparel is a mom-owned business, so you know your kids will love these clothes. And Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers fast, free shipping on orders over $50, not to mention amazing customer service. So head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description and use promo code LOCKS to get 20% off your first order today. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. I'm John Connor. And I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you so much for joining us this week as we dive into another truly terrifying true crime case. Olivia, I am very excited about this one. It is your week. I know that you have actually been to a place that is part of this case. So I'm really excited to hear about that. But I did want to ask you, how are you doing? I know that we're recording late in the evening. 
thank you for being here and doing this. And I have so much fun every week when we get to get together. So I know it's such a fun part of my week. It gives me something like super exciting to look forward to. I like when it's your week. And I feel like you like when it's my week because we get to figure out the different crimes. But yeah, I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm doing great, and I am right there with you. This is definitely the highlight of my week. It's something I look forward to. And I'm usually not somebody who likes to schedule stuff, but I get really into like, okay, we're going to do the episode on this day. I know I got to stay up late tonight. I got to do my research on the case. So it's really a lot of fun. I only get that way about stuff that I'm passionate about. So this is definitely one of those things. And I'm, I'm so happy that we're doing it. I'm so happy that we're here for another episode. And why don't you talk me through, talk the listeners through a little bit, What are we going to be talking about today? This week, I'm going to talk about another case that is Louisiana-based, so I promise the next case that I do will not be from Louisiana, but I found this one really interesting. It's actually a case that took place in New Orleans. So this week, we're going to talk about Antoinette Frank. In the early morning hours of March 4th, 1995, at the local New Orleans East family-owned Vietnamese restaurant, Kim An, Cha Vu, Kwok Vu, Ha Vu, and Kwong Vu, and another employee along with New Orleans police officer Ronnie Williams were there closing the restaurant when Antoinette Frank and Rogers Lacays showed up in her off-duty car. This typically would not be unusual as she worked part-time security at Kim An Restaurant, but Frank and her boyfriend Lacaz had already been at the restaurant twice after her 11 p.m. patrol shift ended. She was on duty that night along with Officer Williams until about 11 p.m. Ronnie and Antoinette had worked together in the same district for over a year. Ronnie Williams was scheduled for security detail at the restaurant once his patrol shift was over that night. Williams apparently warned Cha Vu that Frank was bad news after she left the second time that night. Around 1.55 a.m., Frank and her 18-year-old boyfriend, Rogers Lacaz, showed back up at the restaurant in her off-duty car. Cha Vu had a feeling that something just wasn't right when the couple returned for the third time since 11 p.m. 23-year-old Cha Vu was counting money on the counter, about $10,000 it seemed like in cash, when Frank had returned. She quickly hid all the cash in the microwave oven, and meanwhile her older sister Ha and 17-year-old brother were cleaning the kitchen. Kwok, their 18-year-old brother, was standing behind the bar talking to Officer Williams, who was sitting on a bar stool. Frank shook the door, signaling that she wanted back in, but Cha had told her brothers not to let her in. Frank started to unlock the door with the key that she had stolen earlier in the night as it was missing after she had left the restaurant the second time. Once in the restaurant, Officer Williams questions where she got the key from, but she continued to storm to the kitchen, demanding to talk to Cha. That's when the first shots were fired. So these are police officers who have worked with each other. Yeah, so Antoinette and Ronnie had worked in the same district. So here in New Orleans, we have different districts, which are basically the neighborhoods. At one point, she was assigned to work with him because there were some speculations that her police reports just weren't quite accurate and the whole stories weren't told. So they had worked really closely together for this year and a half. And then they also split the security shifts when they were off duty at the restaurant. So they were around each other all the time. I just wanted to make sure because it seemed like they had had some kind of relationship that may have either led up to or outside of the security job at the restaurant. Yeah, I kind of think of them like uh, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith and Bad Boys, like their partners. Which one was Will Smith? Antoinette, because Will Smith slaps people. (laughs) (laughs) You heard that new Will Smith song? It slaps. (laughs) Okay. Let's take a look at who Antoinette Frank is. She was born on April 30th, 1971 in Opelousas, Louisiana. Opelousas is about two hours northwest of New Orleans. She grew up in an unstable, broken family with a father who was a Vietnam veteran constantly in and out of her life. There were reports that she was abused by him. Her brother was a fugitive, which I couldn't really find what crimes he had actually committed. Her mother and her grandmother reported during the trial that she was not a troubled child. 
1993, she applied for the New Orleans Police Department. During the psychological testing, there were several red flags as to why not hire Frank. She had lied on multiple sections of the application and failed two psychological evaluations where she was rated, quote, poor intolerance and open-mindedness and impulse control. It also stated that she faked being good on the test to make herself appear better and more qualified than she actually was. She was reevaluated by Dr. Phillips after the failed examinations. She was noted to be shallow and superficial and not to be hired. During this time, Franks was uneasy about the delay in her application from the police department and had written a letter to her father that stated, quote, I cannot live in this world the way that I am, so I will not hold you down with me. I don't know where I will go, but I want to be away from as many people as I can. I was doomed since the day I was born. I see that now. I hate myself and my life. Her father had filed a missing persons at the time and was concerned for his daughter's whereabouts. She was only gone for about over a day and no details are available about where she exactly went. Now, on February 7th of 1993, she was hired by the New Orleans Police Department despite her failed evaluations. At this time, New Orleans Police Department was extremely short-staffed in dealing with a lot of police force corruptions. For example, in 1992, more than 30 New Orleans police officers had been charged with felonies, anywhere from rape to kidnapping. The New Orleans Police Department could not keep enough police on the task force, thus making an exception for Antoinette Frank to be hired. That is crazy to me. That in one year, there was over 30 police officers that had been charged with things like rape and kidnapping. Because I've always understood, I think it's been kind of well known that the New Orleans Police Department has had issues with cops. I mean, I think there was one police officer in New Orleans that they may have even suspected of being a serial killer. So it's kind of crazy that a department would be so hurting for employees and to have people on the street that they would be willing to be like, well, you failed the psychological exam twice and... We have had a doctor that has said, do not hire this person. When can you start? Yeah, that's like insane. But in the early 90s, the crack cocaine epidemic was happening. And I just feel like we've had in New Orleans, there's been, you can Google all kinds of stories of corrupt police officers, politicians. There's always been some form of corruption happening in the in the local government. But it's crazy to me that you can have two people say she's unfit and then basically have a third who reevaluates her and is like, yeah, don't hire her. Yeah, it's crazy because I've always had the idea of New Orleans as like this really fun place. I've been there once and had a lot of fun from what I can remember of that trip. But it seems like places like that where there is this element where you can have this fun and drink on the street and stuff like that. There's got to be a darker side to the back of that coin. And I'm sure that darker side breeds a lot of corruption, especially you know if you can be someone who's in a position of power. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you go back to Hurricane Katrina, the the mayor at that time, Ray Nagin, he was indicted and is in federal prison. So there, it's just been an ongoing problem here in the city. It's like real life Gotham. It really is. There was 12 shootings over the weekend. Oh, jeez. Come on up to Nashville. We got banjos and guitars. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get back to the murders. Chaw, Kwok, and the other employee immediately hid in the large walk-in cooler, turning the lights off to not be noticed, and then the first shots were fired by Rogers Lacaz. He was standing behind Officer Williams and shot him in the back of the neck, severing his spinal cord, instantly paralyzing him. Lacaz again shot him in the head and in the middle of his back while he lay motionless on the floor. Chaw could see into the kitchen from the cooler as Antoinette searched frantically in the kitchen looking for the money that she was previously counting. Her siblings, Ha and Kwong, did not know where Chaw had hidden the cash when the next shots were fired. 
21-year-old Ha was shot three times as she knelt on her knees pleading for her life, and 17-year-old Kwong was shot six times and hit with a 9mm pistol. Ha was found in the kitchen still on her knees, head bent over forward on the kitchen floor. Once Frank and Lacaz left the restaurant, Cha ran out of the restaurant to a nearby friend's house to call 911. Frank heard on her police radio that there was an officer shot at the Vietnamese restaurant Kim An, and she dropped Lacaz off at the nearby apartment complex and returned back to the restaurant, entering the back door while Cha waited for the police in the front. Frank presented as an officer to the other officers arriving on the scene. Cha told the officers that Frank had been involved in the invasion. Both Cha and Frank were questioned at the restaurant separately. Frank was taken to the headquarters where she confessed to the crime along with Rogers Lacaz. Both Antoinette Frank and Roger Lacaz were arrested and charged with first-degree murder. So the balls on Antoinette Frank to rob this restaurant. Not only just the restaurant, this is a restaurant that she works at. There's reports that they talk about how she was family to them, to the Vu family, and how Officer Williams was part of their family, and they trusted these people, you know? Yeah, I mean, these are people that you trust to keep you safe, and, you know, especially looking at the relationship between Antoinette Frank and her fellow officer, like they've worked together and just without any hesitation are able to take his life and then these are kids. These are young kids probably working in a family restaurant that they've had forever and is probably a big part of the community and things of that nature. And you just walk in and you're so cold heartedly just able to put these people down is absolutely terrifying. And over $10,000 is what it seems like thus far, you know? Like she went in there knowing that child would be counting the cash at the end of the night. And I just think, you know, she came in once, came in twice, had food on their dime, and then came back a third time, and then her boyfriend goes on this killing spree. Over $10,000 to a family that treats you as one of their own. Yeah, and then to come back to the restaurant and be like, well, hey, officers, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Yeah, I was in the area, and I'm reporting to this officer shot, you know? And then to, then to find out it's her partner, you know? Yeah, I'm also wondering, too, if that maybe she had thought that, like, somebody else in the neighborhood had reported the shot so she came back not expecting to find any survivors anything of that nature but just to be able to kind of walk in and be like hey what's going on what's happening here i'm you know heard it on the radio i'm on the scene if somebody did live i feel like you would kind of be like i need to get out of town not go immediately walking right back, back in right yeah that's that's ballsy Antoinette and Rogers were indicted by the Orleans Parish Grand Jury on April 28, 1995. They each had their own trials. Rogers was tried between July 17th and 21st and was sentenced to death. After two decades in prison, Lacaz was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. His mother continues to seek further investigation as she believes her son is innocent and that Frank's brother may have had some involvement in the crimes. So I'm going to talk about that for a second. So there was some speculations that since Antoinette's brother was considered a, quote, fugitive, um, like I said, I couldn't really, I'm sure if I looked up what her brother's name was, I could find a whole track record of all the crimes he did. But at the time, during this case, they're not really talking about Antoinette's brother. And for the mother to say that her brother had involvement, when you have eyewitnesses in this case, like you can't put the blame on somebody else when Chow had saw and has survived and has seen who shot who and who was with Antoinette that day. There were video clips in 2019 from like New Orleans News where Roger's mom was protesting and saying that her son was innocent. And um, this was around the time that he was um, resentenced to life without the possibility of parole. 
Now, I did just look it up, and what I do see is back in 2013, Adam Frank, who was Antoinette Frank's brother, was actually in court, and he testified that he did not have any participation. At the time, LaCaz's lawyers said that they had evidence that Adam Frank repeatedly bragged about murdering a New Orleans police officer and maybe even had the weapon that was used at Kimon. Then in 1998, three years after the murders that shocked New Orleans, Adam Frank was arrested in Rayville after authorities say they received a tip from a confidential informant that he had boasted about killing a New Orleans Police Department cop. Frank actually escaped the day after that arrest, but was captured within a month or so. And when he was caught, he was carrying a 9mm Beretta Model 92G, which coincidentally happens to be the same caliber, make, and model as the gun the state believed was used to kill Williams and the Vus. Wow. Yeah, now what's interesting is the serial number on the pistol Frank had was rubbed off, but the NOPD crime lab recovered a portion of it, and they were actually able to match a partial serial number on the weapon that police surmised was actually used at the Kimon restaurant. But where we run into an issue is that the gun was destroyed before anyone tested it against any evidence from the restaurant. So the theory is he was bragging about doing it. He has a gun that matches what could have been used, but it was never tested against anything, so we don't have any way to say definitively, you know, you're the one that did it. That's crazy information, and I guess that's where LaCaz's mom is very adamant that her son is innocent and trying to put the blame on Antoinette's brother. Antoinette's trial was September 5th, 1995. She was found guilty on all counts of murder. During the closing statements of her trial, the state's closing arguments included that, quote, she not only deserved to die, she needs to die. Antoinette Frank was sentenced to death on October 20th, 1995. She is currently the only woman in Louisiana on death row, and she is currently living in the Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women in St. Gabriel, Louisiana. What brought me to this case was that Antoinette Frank was the only woman on death row in Louisiana. There's a lot of criminals and there's a lot of women criminals in Louisiana, but to be the only woman on death row, like is she by herself? Is she in solitary confinement technically? Because doesn't death row and prisons have their own wing of the prison? To the best of my knowledge, they do. And I would imagine that they would be segregated between men and women because there's you know women's correctional institution now, if you're the only one, I don't know if they allow you to, you know, mingle with general population, things like that. But I, if it's the same rules as your normal death row inmates, I don't imagine it would be any different. She would just be the only one there. Because you live on death row, like in death row, like your row of jail cells of the people who are sentenced to death. Yeah. Correct. Not yeah. where that kind of comes from. Maybe she's just with all the, the life sentencers. Now, if I remember correctly, when she was convicted, there was another woman who was on death row at that time. There was two. You're right, John. So at the time when Antoinette was convicted, there was another woman who was on death row. Um, so she did have a little bit of a roommate for quite some time. Um, but now to this day, she's the only woman in Louisiana currently on death row. That's an insane title to hold. I wouldn't want that belt. You know what I mean? <laughs> Heck no, me either. There's a little plot twist. So after Antoinette was placed on death row, there were speculations that Frank reported to a fellow police officer that her father had gone missing prior to the Kim on murders. And so strangely enough, after the trial, a skeleton of an unknown male was found under her house, which led people to believe that she had actually killed her own father. 
oh, Jesus Christ, how is this a side note? (laughs) Right? And so, but like, it's also 1995, and all it says is an unknown male. So now that we've been doing this for a couple weeks, I feel like we should be able to know who that male was. And I don't know exactly how to figure out who that person was, and if it truly was her father. Yeah, we can definitely speculate that it was her father. I'll have to do some digging on that, because I just can't believe that that's a side note to the story. Like, hey, this lady went in, she killed a fellow police officer. Then she killed a bunch of teenage kids to take $10,000. Oh, and by the way, under her house is a skeleton of some dude that we don't know. And also just coming off of doing an episode where a skeleton was found under a home. Like, I feel like you can narrow that down. You know what I mean? Right. You can can do that very easily. Well, I don't know how easy, but it's possible, I guess. I feel like this might be my task. I feel like every week I give our listeners a task and I'm going to put this to be their task. Y'all let me know who the skeleton was that was under Antoinette's house. Was it her dad? Was it somebody else? It might be an easy Google search. Y'all let me know what you find out. Put in the Facebook group. We have some awesome detectives in the Facebook group. I believe it's Kaylee. Let us know that you have to eat 400 bananas to overdose from potassium in one sitting. So Yes, I loved hearing that. I love when I, that's why I do this. I love hearing people give us the right answers. Yeah, let us know. Detectives, locksmiths, let us know what you think. As for the Vu family, they closed the New Orleans East restaurant and the family moved to Metairie and reopened a new location of Kim on Noodle House in Harahan which is still open today. So New Orleans East is basically just a neighborhood to the east of the city. And then Metairie is a suburb technically to the west of New Orleans. Harahan is basically just like another little borough like you have in New York. So they're all just little towns around the city. New Orleans is actually a really small city in general. So the new restaurant is really close to my house. So I had the pleasure of ordering it on waiter the other night and having it for dinner and it was really good so I will definitely go back and eat it and I want to go to the restaurant one day but the first time I tried to go eat there they happened to just randomly be closed on a Saturday so I didn't get to eat them I didn't get to eat them I'm gonna have to take your word for it because I am not a noodle guy I can't do it I don't eat spaghetti I don't eat lasagna it's like a texture thing for me so I will definitely have to take your word that they were good noodles I'm sure that they were amazing don't come at me. I get enough grief from my mother-in-law and my wife. My wife loves Italian food. And I'm like, I'll do the chicken parm without the spaghetti. Just give me the chicken and the sauce and the cheese. But I can't do the noodles. That is absurd. I love everything pasta. Pasta, 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 pasta. I wish I didn't like pasta because of the texture because then I would probably be skinny. You like macaroni and cheese? My mom used to tell me that I couldn't live off of macaroni and cheese alone. Yeah, I don't like macaroni and cheese. I can't eat macaroni and cheese. You're like un-American. Well, guys, that's been the podcast. Hope you like the couple episodes that we put out. <laughs> We're not going to say that. It's like saying you don't like a hamburger. Yeah, no, I okay, love a no. hamburger. No. I love a hamburger. I'm going to make sure to fix you all the noodle dishes whenever you come visit me in New Orleans. Oh, geez. Well, shout out to Waiter. Because, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's going to be ordering all the to-go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Officer Williams' wife is reportedly still in contact with the Vu family. Um, Like I said earlier in the case that the Vu's really considered Frank and Williams to be a part of their family and trusting them with their safety and well-being until this horrible day in March of 1993. So I think it's really cool that Officer Williams' wife is still in contact with the family and that the family has closed the chapter in New Orleans East and moved their family to a different part of town and started from scratch. I think that that just says a lot about who the Vu's are as business owners, as a family, you know, that they bound together and were able to continue to do what they love to do. 
Um, but you can actually learn more about this case by reading the book Killer with a Badge that was written by Chuck Hustmeyer. Um, and then this case also appears on the TV series Killer Cops, which I'm not really sure where you can watch Killer Cops. I'm sure it's on one of the streaming platforms. I actually added the book Killer with a Badge to my iPad so that I can read it later on because I'm really interested to hear more about it. And maybe I'll, after I finish reading it, we can have a little update if I hear some more stuff about the case that I didn't maybe read about or hear about. So that's really my case. That's it for Antoinette Franks, the only lady who's living on death row in Louisiana. So let's get down to the deadbolt test. John. I love the deadbolt test. We need a deadbolt test song. That's what I'm going to work on next. Deadbolt. Do a techno song? It'll fit totally. Wicked, wicked, wicked. The deadbolt test for me, I'm just going to give my rating and I'm going to talk about why. Okay. I would put it as seven. And the reason okay. for this is the idea of someone who is in a position of power using that power to take advantage or to hurt somebody else is something that to me is quite scary. So the idea of someone who is a police officer who is supposed to be sworn to serve and protect to take care of their community and in this case seems to be a valued member of the community, at least to the Vu family, someone that they look at that's there to protect them and make sure that their business is safe and things of that nature. To have somebody like that be able to use that power in that position to take the lives of so many people in one instance is very scary. You know, the next time I get pulled over by a police officer for speeding, I know you get pulled over quite a bit because you are too fast, too furious. Don't tell my secrets. (laughs) The insurance company doesn't know. This podcast brought to you by Liberty Mutual. (laughs) I have progressive. Yeah. But, can we get some? Can we get some ads? Right, we, we need some, some ads. Progressive, what's up? Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the next time I get pulled over for something, this case is going to be in my head, you know. And there's so we we talked about it a little bit earlier, but there's so many cases of, you know, you look in New Orleans in that one year, there was 30 cases of police officers abusing their power and doing terrible things, and I have nothing but respect for good, hardworking police officers who want to make a change in their community, who want to make sure that people are taken care of and that they're safe. It's that bad apple thing that you don't know which one you're going to get. So for me, I would say this is a seven. I think that's also considering the fact that I'm a, I'm a white male talking about, hey, I'm a little worried about getting pulled over by the police next time because of the story where, you know, if I was a person of color where typically those interactions are drastically different, I mean, I, this would be a 10, you know what I mean? 10, 11, because it isn't the same experience, you know? Absolutely. And so I think what I took away from this, and I'm going to I'm going to rate it about the same, probably close to like a six or a seven. And I think what makes it a little unsettling for me is that the Vu family hires this police officer that when she's off duty, she protects their restaurant. Now, do you think that the Vu's know that Antoinette Frank has failed three psychological evaluations? No. They see that she's an NOPD officer and that she is there to serve and protect. And it's just like you said, if you get pulled over, how do we know if we're getting that bad cop? Because there's bad cops. There's bad nurses. There's bad... Dentists. (laughs) Doctors. There's bad in every, every... career every job so it's like okay i'm getting pulled over for speeding like i do pretty much on a regular basis but how do i know that when i'm getting pulled over i'm not getting that bad cop and that's something as simple as just like do i put my hands on the steering wheel do i reach for my glove box to get the things that i know they're gonna want like how do i know that i'm not gonna get that person that is that bad apple and sees me reaching for the glove box and it's a bad thing 
Um, so I don't know. I just find that it's very uneasy. And the Vu's had no idea that she was as bad and as corrupt as she actually was. Yeah, not to mention not only is that family affected and, and the family of Officer Williams affected, but, you know, this is a mom-and-pop restaurant in a community. So now the community is affected. That restaurant is no longer there. You know, they've moved to a different area, probably because they didn't feel safe in that neighborhood in the first place. Like, if you are if you live in a neighborhood where, like, a cop could do that, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you're looking at everybody walking around just being like, I just I don't feel safe here anymore. Yeah, just like knowing that your district. So when I lived in the actual New Orleans proper, I lived in the sixth district. And so just knowing that a police officer in my district would have been a murderer would be very unsettling for me as a citizen, knowing that if I needed to call 911, that someone who's just as corrupt as the person who just committed the crime against me was going to show up. Like, I just don't feel like you have anything, they don't have anything to offer, you know? Right. If something happened and I had to call 911 and I had $10,000 cash in my house, as long as it's legitimately obtained money, I shouldn't have to worry about a police officer wanting to take my life for that. And you shouldn't have to worry about a police officer trying to rape you in a traffic stop. Like we've talked about a little bit earlier in the episode. That's what's scary because, you know, even as little kids, we train our kids. If something happens, you go to a police officer, you look for a police officer, like they're heroes in a way. And again, I have nothing but respect. I have a good friend who is a police officer here in Tennessee. Uh, His wife actually works for 911 Dispatch. Like they go out, they put the work in every day to, to try to keep the community safe. I have no problem with those cops at all. Yeah, I mean, all my uncles were police officers at one point in their life. So, I mean, like I grew up in a military police officer family And then I have several friends who are police officers or their spouses are police officers. Like I said, there's good and bad in every career path that you encounter. There's just good people and there's bad people. And those bad people have jobs. And unfortunately, Antoinette Frank was just a New Orleans police officer. That is where we fall on the deadbolt test. We're going to give it a solid. I'm at a seven. uh, Olivia, six, seven. So we're about the same place. But we want to know where would Antoinette Frank fall with you on that deadbolt test? There's several different ways you can let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. We're on Twitter at Check the Locks. We have an amazing Facebook group with some amazing people in it. It's been so much fun being able to interact with people and seeing people comment on what they like about the show. And we're talking about other cases. It's really cool to kind of watch a community grow. So you can join us on that Facebook group as well. If you're interested, whether you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, however you listen, if you pause the show right now, you go down in the description, you will see links for those socials. Please follow us, participate in the Facebook group. We're in there all the time. Want to make sure that, you know, we're interacting and having fun with you. So, Olivia, I think it's time that we should read a five-star review. What do you think? I think so, too. But I think I'm going to let you read this one this week. Okay, I guess I'll read this one. So this week's five-star review comes from Mind Monster, and Mind Monster says, Great natural conversation about very interesting true crimes. Easy and interesting listen. Mind Monster, thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that five-star review. So happy that you're enjoying the show, that you like listening. Really appreciate you taking the time to support us and letting everybody know how you feel. So, again, thank you so much. Reach out to us on the socials. Again, Instagram, Twitter. If you're in the Facebook group, send us a message there. Slide into our DMs. Let us know. We are more than happy to send you out. We got stickers. We got magnets. We got pins. We got a bunch of cool stuff. If you are not a social person... 
checkthelockspod.com. Click the contact button. Send us an email. We'll link up with you. Let us know where to send it out. We'll make sure you get some goodies. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their review read on the podcast, what do they need to do? Well, first off, you have to go to Apple Podcast, and you have to leave a five-star review. A three-star review is not going to get you read each week. So leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like. Um, give us some of that feedback. We love reading it. We love interacting with our listeners. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast, and maybe next week you'll be a lucky winner. Yes, leave those reviews. Let us know what you think. But more importantly, thank you guys so much for checking out the show. Please, if you are enjoying what we're doing, share it with your friends, share it with your family, let them know, send them a link. It's the best thing that you can do to help out the show is to let people know that we're out there. That's all that we've got for this week. Another great episode, another truly terrifying true crime case. Olivia, thank you so much for sharing this one with me. I really appreciate it. I'm always happy to be here. I love this day. I love when we schedule our our podcast days and when we start to record our episodes. It's really a fun time. You know, we do our research. I like to call it my homework. It's like fun homework. So it's really fun for me. I'm enjoying this. Thank you for going on this adventure with me, John. And, you know, y'all reach out to your friends and family. Let them know about us. You know, we just are trying to build our podcast here. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's it. Antoinette Frank in the books. We will see you guys next week for a brand new case. And until then, do not forget to check the locks. See you next week.